the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsi. You know, it's not every day that you can see a Blue Jays team lose by 13 runs and still have a lot of positives to extrapolate from the game. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the StadiumScene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. There's a lot of bright spots on this Blue Jays team, despite the spanking they got from the Dodgers. And we're going to break things down tonight as we talk all things Blue Jays. Joining me tonight to discuss Blue Jays is Marshall Arbach of the Levy Institute. Marshall, man, what's going on? Great to see you. Great to speak to you, rather. We're not <laughs> actually seeing each other, but uh, I'm on Skype, so I always think of seeing <laughs> Um yeah, so I, I don't know if you saw the score of the uh, of the Dodgers Blue Jays game, but they got I, pummeled by thirteen. I, runs. I did see it. I I thought to myself, good thing I'm on the East Coast, um, <laughs> so I only heard about the first few innings. But um, hey, it's that kind of a year. Um, but as you say, there's still some positives. Bo hit two home runs, and um, Derek Fisher hit one. So uh, it's um, you know I, I I think at least now. Since the All-Star break, we can see that there's a good young core there, and um, they just need to get the pitching sorted out. But it's it's not they're not that far away. You know, I, I honestly believe that. I, I hate to sound like a Pollyanna, but <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm feeling better about them now than I were in, than I was in May. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were when you when you approach this season, the expectations were somewhere in the middle. At least they were for me. I know a lot of people were thinking that they'd be able to hit 500. Um, I wasn't quite there, but I didn't think like 75, 78 wins were out of the questions. Well, I guess it is now. But um, now that we have this this crop of young prospects coming up, it really gives the audience at least something to watch and look forward to and to be entertained by when they're not losing. And I don't know that we've ever had that sort of balance as Blue Jays fans before. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, I, I was, I'm old enough to remember when they were an expansion team. And then as, um, as Peter Bavese said, you were selling the, the sizzle, not the steak. Yeah. And, um, and so it was, it was pretty lousy for the first few years, although I did go down to the old exhibition stadium and that was fun. And I, and Otto Velez was an early hero. And then we had Dave Steve. Um, so, it was really exciting when they did get good, and then, of course, we got super excited uh, uh, again in the, with World Series. You had to wait a long time, and then 2015-16. Um, Personally, I don't think um, it's going to take that long. I don't think we're going to, like, in for a long stage in the, in the wilderness. And, um, and I do, like you, I, I mean, I, I, ha- I kind of thought that 75-80 wins was so a possibility, and um, in a way... In one sense, it's it's good that it that that's not true, but I, because I think that any hesitation they had that the you know Shapiro and, and his team had about accelerating the rebuild was was gone right away. Um, the only problems I had were was that um, in, a, in April May the, the team was literally unwatchable. I mean they weren't just bad, but you couldn't you didn't even have the young players up there. They were just horrible. And at least now, you know they're whacking it like they were in 2015-16, and it's it's you can see. The, the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not an on-rushing train at this point. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, as I mentioned, like 
I, I'm not sure that we as Blue Jays fans have had that, right? There's always been one extreme or the other. It's either been really, really good within the cases of like 91, 92, 93, and even 94 before the strike. There was a, supposed to be a, a Canadian World Series if the, if the Blue Jays and Expos would have made it that far. But, you know, travel fast forward to 2015, 16, those have been like the bright years. But everything in between was kind of like downtrodden and depressing. And I don't know that, First of all, I can't remember a time where this many prospects, this sort of surge of youth has come up to the system all at once to really electrify this team and, and the future and how much we can look forward to it and the bright spots about it. So the balance is there. I guess I just wonder how the front office is going to handle that. And I think we can start there. Like, as I mentioned, so fans right now, they're seeing this team sort of light it up, especially offensively. They're, they're hitting rather well. And they're sort of revisiting that familiar feeling of what things could be, as I mentioned, 2015 and 16. Um I guess I'm wondering, how long do you think this is going to take? Like, how long do you, you say you're very excited about this team and, and the aspect of the future? How long do you think it's legitimately going to be until we have a competing Toronto Blue Jays squad again? Uh, I don't think it'll be that long. Um, I would say 2021. I know that Atkins said that, and I think it's, it's, it's credible. Um, there's... You know, Tampa is one of those teams that, you know, it, they, they have a, a core of young players, but they're going to lose a bunch of them, and, and they have their own kinds of uncertainty in terms of where they're going to be in a few years. Um, Boston is deteriorating much faster than, than I thought. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and and I, I'm kind of not surprised about that because um, uh, Dave Dombrowski, that's his M.O., you know, he, 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 he drains uh, the team of a, a lot of uh, good prospects. Uh, buys aggressively to get some high-priced free agents, um, has a few good years, and um, that's what he did in Detroit. He couldn't do that in Montreal because he didn't have the budget, but he's, he's um, th there isn't a, a, a great prospect pool coming up there. So you've got the Yankees, basically. Uh, they do have a very good young core of players, and they have, and, and I think Brian Cashman is probably one of the top three GMs in the game. But I think, um, you know, the Jays could be could be right there. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of... Um, good young players, and um, I, I feel um, much more optimistic than I did earlier because I think that these guys have turned out to be um, better, uh, faster than I expected. Um, the only thing they're going to need is, is pitching. I'm glad that you mentioned that they're getting better quicker than you expected because I think that is indicative of this, uh, of, of what we're experiencing right now with this squad because there is an argument out there that a, a legitimate push for a wild card, let's say. Let's not get overambitious and say the division or what have you, but a legitimate push for the wild card could be in the conversation for 2020, so long as this team has legitimate pitching. And I know that's sort of a tall order here. Like, that's kind of asking for a Lamborghini when you have a Honda. Like, you need <laughs> to have really good pitching in order to compete in, especially in the AL East. Um, yeah, so I think at this, at this point, they don't even have a Honda they have a bunch of Vespas, you know, so, I mean, if, if they can get some cars, that would be a good start, but but they're not that, I mean, look, they, they, they've also had some bad luck, I mean, it, it, like Shoemaker, for example, I mean, he pitched, it was only three games, three, four games, but he was pitching really well when he got injured, so that was a, a, a blow, um, and then, of course, Baruki, who pitched well last year, he, he's, he hasn't really um, um, come forward, he, he, he's had his injuries, and so he's gone for the year. Um, 
But the other guy that, that so th those are two uh, people that you can, can look at. Granted, uh, Sanchez and Stroman are gone, um, but I'm also really excited about Nate Pearson because he looks like he's going to be ready. Um, he, he pitched, you probably saw this, but he, he pitched great last night in his first game in AAA. And um, you know, Dave Horsman, the, the, the pitching coach uh, down in New Hampshire, actually already thinks he's major league ready, which I, I do as well. Wow. I mean, that's, I would love to see it because you're right. Last night, I think it was, no, last night or two nights ago? Two nights ago, it might have been. I think I read about it yesterday, but but he, he, he certainly looked, um, you know, seven innings, three hit ball, something like that. He, yeah. he was great. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that is something that, you know, like the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors, like the Bo Bichettes that we've had, especially in the offensive side and in the field, the Blue Jays' farm system up until the trade deadline has been pretty void of pitching prospects, say, for the Nate Pearsons or the TJ Zoics or even the Patrick Murphys. They haven't really been present until now. And when you have a guy like Nate Pearson sort of lighting it up, especially... Uh, his first start in Buffalo. You're right. He threw seven innings, the longest outing of his career thus far, allowing three singles, no walks, three strikeouts, and no runner reach past first base, period. Yeah. 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 I mean, he does it a few more times, and um, you wonder. I'm sure they won't bring him up at any point uh, this uh, September because of the service time manipulation, but you do uh, wonder if he keeps pitching like that. Um, I, I don't see him in Buffalo for 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 uh, any length of time next year. I mean, maybe they'll play the uh, the game where he um, comes up at the end of the month, but for sure he looks like he's ready to go. There's a, there's one other point I should I should mention that this, um, you know, we we talked earlier about Boston. Um, the guy who built up the core of that team is Ben Charrington, and he's with the Blue Jays right, right. now. So, um, and I know that the the fan base has a real hate on these days for the Toronto front office. Some 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 of it is is um, legitimate, but I think most of it is unfair. And, you know, Anthopolis had a completely, he had a polar opposite approach to, to uh, building the, the prospect pool uh, than these guys did, because these guys tend to be taking an approach more like the Chicago Cubs and Theo Epstein. It's, you get a lot of position players, and then maybe later on you worry about pitching because it's so much less predictable. You get a few free agents when you think you're ready to go. Um, Anthopolis always drafted pitchers and he, right. he used them as as, as, as as prospect capital but his um his selections as far as uh infielders uh and indeed outfielders go was pretty lousy i mean there, were, there weren't really a lot i mean vladdy was was uh, was a conspicuous exception but that that's about it do you see a scenario in which this current front office will sort of flip the script on that and instead of dealing out the the, the pitching prospects that they don't have or rather put it this way like Anthopolis was eager to deal away the pitching prospects that he had, but he didn't have a lot of fielding help in the minor league system. Do you see a scenario in which this front office will flip that and purge some of the minor league system that they have of the infielders and outfielders to acquire the pitching necessary to compete? Yeah, they might do that eventually. Um, once they've realized, or once I think this prospect capital is more developed and more, more well-rounded. I mean, they, they do have some seriously good depths where they could make trades. I mean, the, the, look, um, behind the plate, I mean, both um, Jansen and McGuire are, are major league ready, and you've got a, a bunch of guys behind them. So there's, there's some really, really good catching prospects, and, and, and not a lot of teams can claim that. Um, and they have a ton of um, um, prospect capital uh, as far as middle infielders go, um, and, and so I think, you know, once those guys move up the uh, the, the the ladder towards uh, Double A AA and Triple A, 
uh, they'll be the, the, the Blue Jays will be in a, in a much stronger position to know um, where they need to make where they can make transactions, and I and I think that's where they're likely to get some high-end um, pitching talent. I, I don't think they're likely to be major players in the in the free agency market um, this offseason. And I'm not sure that they should be, even though I think fans might think to the contrary. I mean, it, it, it's there, there are there are not a lot of great um, pitchers that are out there as available available free agents. So I, I don't think you need to um, um, go crazy on you know paying a top dollar for mediocre um, uh, pitchers. Having said that, if they do decide that maybe now this rebuilding or retooling or the re-identity of this Blue Jay squad is near complete, right? And and you're right. There's so much room for error right now. These kids are still raw. Like, they're not... The sample size is still rather small comparatively, right? So if, if the front office decides to be bold and says, you know what, I think we can make a, a legitimate shot at say a wild card as i mentioned earlier and they went the trade route is that something a that you expect this front office to do because as you mentioned the free agent pool is rather thin so do you expect them to go the trade route to really make that push for 2020 or do you think they're they've been cautiously patient to see what they have in the squad that they'll wait it another year and then make the push come 2021 that's my guess, uh, unless it, it turns out they, they start off unexpectedly well, in which case I think the pressure will grow for them to make the kind of move. But I agree with you that it's likely to happen via the trade market as opposed to uh, free agency, even though, as many people have pointed out, they will have a ton of payroll flexibility. Um, I just think it's more likely to, to go um, via trades. That's generally the way that Mark Shapiro has operated in the past, and um, you know he's done very well at it. I, I know uh, people hate a lot of the deals that these, this team has made recently, but remember, this is the guy that um, acquired Carlos Carrasco, he acquired and also acquired Corey Kluber via trade. So um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's he's um, uh, reticent to make a, 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 a transaction that may not look obviously good from the start. Um, you know, in fact, I would argue that um, the Stroman transaction is uh, an illustration of that. I, I, I had no problems with that, that deal. And um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm based in New York, and um, the, the, the doorman in the building I live in is a diehard Mets fan. He, he was seriously pissed off when, that Richardson was included in that deal. And, and oh, two really? or three other, yeah, two or, and two or three other Mets fans um, uh, said the same thing. But one thing I will say about Mets fans, um, they are very, very uh, knowledgeable. They're, they're passionate about their team, but, but they're, they, they, they're well-informed fans. And, uh, you know, I kind of identify with them because they've suffered a lot with their team over the last few years. Um, but they, they do know their stuff. And, and Richardson, um, again, he, he and both he and Kay have, have pitched better since they uh, uh, have got over to the, their respective farm clubs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially Kay. I, I've been seeing some, you know, not to dive too much into the prospect porn here, but I have seen some some video footage of him, and, and the stuff from his first outing compared to the most recent stuff that I've seen has been like night and day. And, you know, you touched on the success that Shapiro has had, especially in the Cleveland organization. I don't know. I think fans are hesitant here in Toronto. Well, not here, because I'm not there, but as Toronto Blue Jays fans, they're, they're hesitant to really fully buy into that because we haven't seen it 
in the Blue Jays, right? He's been he's made very little trades to help the major league squad in the immediate term, save for maybe 2016. I know they acquired Tay Oscar and, and that was good, but you know, other than that, there really hasn't been that much of a push to help the major league squad. So you can understand the apprehension. apprehension. Sure, sure. You know? uh, that's right. And 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 also um there's, um, you know, the the hagiography of Alex Anthopoulos, um, um, you know, that, that you know, he was a Canadian and um, he, he finished off on a great run in 2015. Um, of course, what what is less uh, recalled is the fact that, you know, had he been sacked at the beginning of 2015, which which was a possibility, I don't think there would have been very many tears shed. I mean, look, his record over the previous four years was, was very mediocre. Yeah, it was bad. He made... He, he made um, he made that huge trade in 2013, which looked like it was a, a, a massive reversal of uh, what he had been uh, building up towards. So um, uh, he gave it a shot. Um, I think he's he's grown to become a very good general manager. But, um, you know, I, 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 I think it's true. Shapiro and Atkins inherited a very, very good team, um, but it was an aging team. They didn't do anything with it because politically that would have been tough after 2016. I think you can criticize them. We're not moving faster after 2017. I'm a great believer in the Billy Bean motto. Um, it's better to make a trade a year too early than a year too late. And right. we saw that with Josh Dalton. But, uh, you know, I, I still think these guys are know what they're doing. And as I say, it's not just uh, uh, Shapiro and Atkins. I think Charrington's a very talented executive. Um, Sanders, is, I think, is a, is a, a good uh, man to have in, the, the, in their scouting department. And let's not forget Tony LaCava, who reportedly was the guy who pushed hardest for Beau Bichette. At least that's, that's what one hears. And he's still on the uh, uh, working for this uh, outfit. He's, he worked for Anthopolis, and he worked before that for Shapiro. So um, I feel pretty good about their, their capacity to find those gems and build quickly. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'm glad you touched on Beau Bichette because last night that performance was unbelievable. And this kid, since arriving to the Blue Jays, has exuberated nothing but confidence. And he, last night, we're recording this, I should mention, we're recording this Wednesday evening before the Blue Jays faced the Dodgers for Game 2. Um, he hit two home runs off of Clayton Kershaw. And not only that, he set a record. He is the youngest Blue Jay to ever hit a home run to lead off a game. And like I said, he's been nothing but confident, nothing but exuberating the sense that he belongs here. And he was even vocal about that before getting the call up. And obviously there were some things in his way. Players were in his way. The, 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 the drain was clogged in order to get him up. Yeah. Do yeah. you find this type of performance sustainable? Uh, look, I'm sure he'll 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 slump like everybody else does. I mean, it would be great to think that he wouldn't, but um, I expect that he he will, um, you know, have a, a rough patch at, at some point. But you know, it, look, as more and more teams get to see him and they get to recognize his tendencies, they'll make adjustments, and um, he'll have to learn to make adjustments to their adjustments. That's the way it goes. Right. But uh, um, um, the thing that's impressed me the most, though, because I've watched him very closely uh, since he's been up, has been his defense. I mean, he's made some exceptionally good plays, uh, you know, to quote, to paraphrase Charlie Montoya. He really knows how to pick it. And that's one thing that surprised me, because the impression I always had was that he, he was um, major league bat ready even before he was called up. A lot of people said he was uh, at spring training, he was ready to go offensively, mm-hmm. but um, that there were still shortcomings on the glove. And, and, and the one thing you, 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 you hope is that 
you know, he, he, that you don't have a real liability at that position because I think it's really important uh, that the shortstop is the anchor of the infield. So you want a guy that really knows what he's doing back there. I mean, we saw what happened with Jose Reyes when, you know, he was like a sieve when he played uh, at, at shortstop and, and oh, yeah. the team was instantly transformed the minute they got to the Witski. Um, so uh, he is an incredibly well-rounded player already, and that's the thing that really uh, surprises me. In some respects, even more so than Vladdy. I mean, Vladdy is, uh, you know, he's a tremendous offensive talent uh, in, in many respects, uh, uh, better than, than Bo. But, you know, longer term, is he going to be the team's uh, third baseman? He's got a good arm, but I would think that, you know, he, he's built more like Miguel Cabrera, and um, I have a feeling that he's going to, like Cabrera, he's going to end up at first base rather than the third. I think the comparison between Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette is something that is on the minds of a lot of fans. And a lot of, I, I feel like it, it's almost disrespectful to some to, to get overly excited about Bo while not having that same level of excitement about Vlad because he was so highly touted and so elevated even before he was a Toronto Blue Jay and once he came up yeah it was great but there's no way he had nearly as much immediate success as Bo Bichette has which leads me to think like maybe we overhype Vlad and that's not to take anything away from his abilities but maybe we thought that he was going to be this all-around five-tool baseball player, which maybe he's not quite there, at least not yet, but at least on the hitting side, he should be outstanding. So maybe Bo Bichette, if I can be so bold, Bo Bichette is the all-around better player, but once he hits a groove, Vlad will be the all-around better hitter. Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. And I think also um, um, it, uh, uh, Guerrero was... Um, hurt by comparisons by people like uh, Soto and uh, Acuna, who, yeah. who you know both came up at a comparable age and um, had experienced immediate success, as did Bo. Of course, Bo's one year older than, uh, than Vladdy is. But um, as other people pointed out, Mike Trout was sent back down to the minors after his first go, and um, you know he's, he's turned out okay. That's true. That's true. I, I mean, I do think that there's still a lot of untapped potential that we haven't seen from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Oh, yeah. I, you know? Oh, yeah. I just, and, I, and I think, I mean, it, it, look, you know, the, the, the thing that really got me excited was the, the other day when he hit that home run where he just literally golfed it over the <laughs> left field fence. And, and everyone made the comparison to his father. And I sort of said, you know, watch out. If he starts hitting like his dad, and he has the command of the strike zone, it, 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 which his dad never did. I think his dad, you know, if it was within six miles of the plate, he would swing at it. But oh, yeah. um, if, if, if he can do that, then, wow, he, you could be talking about, you know, batting titles uh, galore for this guy. I mean, he, he's that good. All that's left is for a pitcher to pitch it in the dirt, and it bounces up, and somehow he hits it just like his dad yeah, used right. to do. That's right. <laughs> he, can, he probably could do it, but, but I mean, he... he Unlike his father, I suspect he wouldn't do it. That 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 uh, was a, a um, an outlier, but uh, it does show that he's got the genes. Do you see a scenario? You mentioned it that right now, like. A lot of the talk is whether or not he's an everyday third baseman. I guess the fear is that perhaps he's not as athletic enough as, you know, the, the stereotypical third baseman. When you remove, like, the Miguel Cabreras right before he made the transition to first base, 
you have third base as sort of like a super athletic position. It's called the hot corner for a reason. Do you see a scenario in which the the Blue Jays, especially the front office, will make the push for him to move to first base and maybe have Rowdy Telez be the everyday first baseman, or maybe they'll spell themselves here and there, and that they go out and try to find an athletic, stereotypical, everyday third baseman it, via free agency in the offseason? Yeah, I don't know if they'll they'll go uh, the free agency route. I suspect it will come um, from one of these guys they have down in in the minors. Um, maybe a, a guy like a Kevin Smith or mm-hmm. um, or, or one or, or or Jordan Groshans, um, one of those guys. I, I you know they're 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 being <clears throat> trained to be um, playing. They're playing shortstop right now, but I don't think it would be that much of an adjustment for uh, either of them to move to third base. And I think that's where the way you'll um, uh, unclog. Um, the potential backlog there. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll come into camp next year, uh, 25 pounds lighter, and he'll be able and he'll um, master the uh, the other aspects of the position. I mean, I, I don't think he's bad defensively. I think he's average. But um, you know, as you say, you 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 know the you I, I we're both uh, uh, at least both still have memories of 2015 and 16 when you had. Um, Tulo and, and um, Donaldson on that, that the left side of that infield, and that was great to watch. And um, you know, the, you, you get a, a solid infield defense that that takes away a lot of runs, which helps your pitching. So it, it would be very valuable if you could find another guy, or Vladdy does turn out to be um, as excellent defensively as he's obviously going to be offensively. Yeah, I just I just fear that he's going to push it. Right, and the body won't agree with the the amount of uh, of athleticism that is demanded at the position, right? Because this is yeah, still, I agree. You know, he's a big guy. You know, yeah, he is. He's, he's not. He, he's definitely not his father's son in in that regard. Um, you know, he doesn't look like his 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 dad at all. And his dad, of course, was a rake. I mean, as I said when he first came up, um, I, I immediately thought of Miguel Cabrera. Of course, Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera at, at um, at uh, age 20, 21, was a pretty skinny guy. And oh, yeah. He, he, grew, he grew into being a, a much more heavy set type. So you look at Vladdy at, at, at um, 20, and, yeah, I doubt he's going to, like, become a, a skinny little rake anytime soon. And then the question, as you say, is, is his body type uh, right for him to play that position athletically? I have my doubts. Um, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, Rally Telez, He's been okay, I and mean, it's a nice story. You're happy for him or, or making it up to the major leagues. But he hasn't really raked uh, uh, and and uh, in, in the major leagues just yet. And I suspect if he doesn't um, show sustained improvement uh, in the latter part of this season, then um, it makes the case to move Vladdy over to first base even stronger. Because you do want to have a guy at first base who can break. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's usually the recipe for the position, and this I don't envision a scenario in which Justin Smoke is still on this team come next year, whether they're going to extend him an, an extension or yeah, not. Yeah, I agree. I, I just don't I agree. See it. I mean, he's been a he's been a a, a good player for them. Um, when they signed him to an extension, there was a lot of criticism, and um, he but he more than outplayed it. And uh, you know, this year it's been tougher, but you know, look. Uh, He's a, he's a good guy, and um, you know I wish him well. But there, there's real no, no real need for him, much as there wasn't for um, Sogard or Galvis, you know. So I'm, you know it, it, it was uh, sad to see those guys go out as well. But um, they were dormant assets, um, 
that they were um, uh, able to, um, for whose careers they were able to revive. And in the case of Sogard, well, there's a couple of young pitching prospects uh, coming our way uh, as the players to be named later. So we don't know who they are yet. But that's that's the rumor. Right, right. And, you know, there are, as you mentioned, internal options. There could be a scenario, even though I don't love it, there could be a scenario in which they they move Vladimir Guerrero Jr. over to first because Rowdy just isn't cutting it. And Brandon Drury, at least for the interim, like he's sort of that bridge third baseman until they yeah, have a more it. sustainable And he's, he's solid defensively, and he, and he, shows, he has shown signs of breaking out. So... And I, I, I still like Drury and, and, and McKinney. I, again, I know those are trades that uh, the, that was an acquisition uh, that people didn't like when they, they um, dealt Jay Happ for, for these two guys. Right. Um, but frankly, um, Happ was not pitching that great uh, the last few starts he had for Toronto. And he, and he was a, a rental for the Yankees. And they got two um, major league ready players. They may not be started, but they're good functional depth players. And, and they could be boards. So um, I have no problem with that deal, and um, I, as, as you suggest, um, Drury still has the possibility of, uh, of developing more, and he's versatile. He can also play uh, uh, second base, and he's learning how to play first base as well. So uh, I envisage that he will have a, a, an important role to play on the team next year. The, 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 the other question, other than the pitching, is you know, what happens to the outfield? Um, is there enough there, or are they, have they got four... Um, Billy McKinney types. I mean, that, that's really the, the, what you you um, wonder about. I mean, a guy like Tay Oscar, he tantalizes and he looks occasionally like he's ready to break out. And, and again, that, a, a great acquisition, I think. Um, Grishik looks like he's um, making the move, but he did at this point last year and then you know regressed at the beginning of the of this year. And um, Fisher still too too early to to say. And then and you've got uh, Guriel who until he got injured, looked like he was the answer at, at, in left field. And um, he may be the, uh, the guy that really uh, is, the, is, is the big bat in that lineup uh, coming uh, in, in the future. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'm glad you mentioned the outfield because save for Lourdes Gurriel, I don't really find a scenario in which anybody else is safe. We have a, a, a contract extended to Graychuk that right now may look like a little bit of an overpay. So if the Blue Jays can sort of get out from underneath that and make a move to to get out of that contract, I'd welcome it. But you see the plethora of players that are knocking on the door, the Anthony Alfers, the Jonathan Davises. Like these are the type of players that I think could really be mainstays for this Blue Jays squad. So I kind of wanted to get your take on that. Do you you think that Graychuk and Tay Oscar, or maybe even Billy McKinney, if you want to throw them in, these are anchors to this Blue Jay squad, or are you like me thinking no one other than Lourdes is safe in terms of trade talk? Yeah, Graychuk. Uh, there are t- times when I watch him and I go, "Wow, you know, he looks like he's getting it." But as I said, you know, he tantalizes like this um, last year at this point, and then you know regressed badly. Now he's. Now he's above average, but again, he's not playing up to the contract, so it looks premature, but maybe they could do it. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the one who I really remain intrigued by is Alford. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he, he keeps looking like he's knocking on the door and then he gets injured. And, uh, but, you know, he's got such great athleticism, and he's the guy you really hope um, can, can be a, a, a core. Player, but he's running out of time. I mean, he, he, uh, hopefully, uh, now that he's um, got through his injury patch, he's had a lot of bad luck with that. But he can he can make it through. But he's the one guy I am in, in, intrigued about. 
Uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah, Goriel um, looks like he could be the guy, although he was slowing down a little bit before his injury. So they're, they're, they're all, um, they're, there's yes buts on all of them, I would say. Um, none of them are, are really dead certs. Um, but in aggregate, maybe they're okay, you know. Uh, um, maybe they'll, 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 they'll be fine. It makes me wonder when it comes to Alfred because it seems as though he's, well, at, at least in the beginning of the season, he was the most athletic prospect that I feel the Jays had in the system. He's a, he's a tank. But when it comes to how his, his season has gone, my biggest fear when it comes to him is him ending up much of the similar path that Dalton Pompey had. Yeah, he, he's... He certainly has reflected that that, um, that that same trajectory. I mean, he's had uh, he had a good start, and then he got injured, and injuries continue to um, create setbacks for him. Um, but more recently, he has uh, done better again. Um, he's younger than Pompey, and uh, you know, again, his, in baseball development terms. He's even younger still because, as you know, he, he played um, four years of college football. football so, yeah. Um, I, he, he, next year is going to be crucial for him, I think, because if he if he if he doesn't make that quantum leap in the next uh, year or so, then you have to think, oh, okay, he's a, he's another, um, you know, what if or not not quite there, and then they're going to have to think about you know getting someone else in the uh, uh, for, for the outfield. And who that would be, I I, I don't know, um, you know, but. Uh, Funnily enough, a, a few years ago, I was a big advocate of um, trading Boba Shit to try to acquire Christian Yelich. Um, oh yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't listen to me on that. But the, you know, obviously, if you get an opportunity for a, a player like that who's you know controllable and and has that kind of upside, um, yeah, then I think you'd have to um, um, look seriously at doing something and uh, doing a trade like that. My biggest fear is that you're going to have guys like Teoscar Hernandez, who this front office traded for, uh, Derek Fisher, who, again, this tr front office was eagerly trading for, and Randall Graychuk, as I mentioned, who this front office has extended. So they see something in these three players. And from what I've gathered, it's really hard for them to let go of, quote-unquote, their guy. So I don't know that that's going to do Anthony Alford any favors in terms of the prospect of him joining this major league squad coming out of spring training. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fair fair point. And uh, um, hopefully, uh, uh, as I said, I, uh, they're all decent, uh, those guys. And, um, you know, maybe uh, as they develop, they, they'll... Um, that they still have some upside. Fisher is the one I'm still most baffled about because he does seem like the other three. And, um, you know, they claim that he could be a 280, 25 homer a year hitter. Um, I'm not seeing you know, it. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> see it. But, but listen, he hasn't really played that much, so it, it, he's got to get his 500 at, at, at bats. And that's the one trade. I mean, I, I had no trouble with the Stroman trade. The Sanchez um, trade really did bother me because I sort of thought, you know, Derek Fisher, hmm. You know, you've already got three guys like that. What's the point? You know, so it, it made no sense to me. Whereas I can fully understand and get on board with the um, the uh, the Stroman deal. Um, I could see what they were doing there. Um, Fisher just seemed like someone they they've been fixated on for whatever reason. Think they can fix him, and and maybe they can. But you know, the the jury's still out on that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, last night, again, he had a home run off of Kershaw, and that's flashy. That's great. And I'm sure that makes, you know, Ross Atkins giddy. But 
I've only really seen the success against left-handers, right? And yeah. in order for him to be a mainstay in the outfield, especially if he's going to clog a position for for a guy like Anthony Alford, I really need to see him have success against righties. Yeah, absolutely. He's got to be, you know, they, they already have, arguably they have four uh, fourth outfielders, you know, and so and you and including him, and, and you don't want that. And so... Um, you know, yeah, but but Alfred's got to break through at some point. He's got to make their their job really hard. He hasn't so far. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens in September. Um, I, I presume he'll be called up, and, uh, and whether he actually gets some decent playing time. It makes me wonder because you know. Th- th- as I mentioned, this front office is obsessed with quote-unquote their guys, but they also like the security blanket of having this conveyor belt, this assembly line of players ready to just fill the void if something were to happen to one of their mainstays in the majors. What I fear is that they're going, like as you mentioned with Christian Yelich, I fear that they're going to be presented with an opportunity, right, to really make an improvement to this major league squad, but they're going to be reluctant to part with one of, quote-unquote, their guys because of the fear that they lack that insurance as a result. Do you get that sense when it comes to this front office as well? Uh, you know, it's hard. To, it, it's it's too early to tell. I mean, it's only in the last, uh, this year, I would say, that you, you really had a, an indication as to, you know what kind of a team it is. I mean, this is really their team now, and because uh, you know it, they they were doing a lot underneath the surface the previous years, but but now you've got a sense of the guys that they have on there, uh, um, and um, but we haven't actually got to the point where they whether they, they 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 will say, okay, we've now got this this uh, core prospect capital of our guys. Um, do they actually then deal one of them? It's it's, it's still too early to tell. I just fear that they're not going to make that next step, and like they're going to hold back the the ceiling that these kids can reach, right? Because I, I look, maybe 2020 is not the year that they really push, but I'm not really sure that I'm I'm anticipating, or rather that I'd accept another year where they go shopping for a Jaime Garcia, right? Or or yeah, uh, I think that's right. They they can't just pick, uh, you know, they can't just. Um, shop around in the bargain basement uh, bin and hope that they find something that uh, you know that the, the, um, the, the that where they find the, the to use a Seinfeld reference they find the ca- the cashmere sweater with the w- one little red dot on it that they can, you know, <laughs> so I mean they've really got to go out and 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 get um, you know get some so at least get a, a decent medium term pitcher. The other thing I want to bear in mind is that. Um, you know, both these guys, Shapiro and Atkins, their contracts, I believe, uh, run out at the end of 2020. Yeah. So, you know, that's another thing that, you know, I know Shapiro says that uh, I don't think about that. Um, but um, I, I was told that, you know, he, he did uh, the, yeah, he did ask for an extension and, and, and didn't get one. So um, that was told me by a pretty good source, um, uh, someone who covers the team uh, pretty closely. So it's interesting. I think they're in wait and see mode as, as well. So that might govern their uh, decision making at some point. Um, you know, ownership's a wild card because, um, on the one hand, I think someone like Edward Rogers does want to see them t- this team be successful. But I think guys like Joe Natale think it's a business. We want it to be profitable. Right. And um, you know, so the question is, do they spend money? to make money. Um, uh, that's the thing that's always worried me as opposed to the executives themselves. 
You know, there is a scenario that we've touched on on this show in which maybe, because you're right, their contracts do end at the end of the 2020 season. Maybe, you know, knock on desk here, if we're lucky, they'll see the writing on the wall in which they don't see a scenario that they'll be part of the Blue Jays' future moving forward. And they'll pull an Alex Anthopoulos-esque system and not drain the system as much and leave the cupboards bare, but at least say, all right, we're not going to be here next year. This is a future someone else's problem. Let's go for it. Let's do it. I, I kind of want to see that aggressiveness. Well, I want to see them be aggressive, but I think uh, I don't, but Shapiro said something very interesting, which I think was very telling. He said, there's no point in being aggressive if, you know, you buy, you get a player, uh, either by a free agency or transaction, trade, um, where uh, it takes you from 82 to 85 wins, yeah. or for that matter, from 75 to 80 wins. A player that takes you from 87 to 90 said that's a more interesting proposition. So I think the the progress of the team next year will determine how aggressive they get on the trade market or indeed in free agency. Uh, that's, I think, um, going to be very, very telling. Uh, but I, I do think uh, think for them to, to ensure that they have a reasonably good start next year, they're going to have to go and get some decent um, pitching. They don't have to be great, but, you know, at least... Um, you know, uh, enough guys that can, um, you know, sustain a, a halfway respectable rotation. You know, um, that, that's that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, but in order to get to that 87 win mark to make the push for someone that will get you to 90, you got to get to the 87 first, right? And I yeah, don't know that right. what they have is able to to accomplish that without the help of someone that could really push them. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think if you had five decent uh, uh, starters, then that would certainly go a long way. Because um, I think the offense is good enough to sustain 85 to 87 wins if they have a, a good enough uh, pitcher. I mean, they're they're playing at about that that they've been playing at about that pace or even better since the All Star break. So um, that's possible. But and again, they will have Baroki back, and hopefully he'll be okay next year. Um, Pearson could be up. Um, and, uh, so they're, 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 and, and Shoemaker, I think they'll bring back as well. So there, right. you know, you've got three decent guys over, over there and, you know, then they've got Waggis back, who I think is probably a, a long reliever type more than anything else. Um, um, but the, the, so I, I think it, it, it won't, won't take, require a lot of, uh, aggressiveness to get to where they're, um, halfway decent. And that, so the interesting thing becomes if there are 500 team uh, by say June or July of next year, what do they do? I mean, are they going to be aggressive buyers? Do they just stand pat? Or um, and, and I, 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 it's, it's too early to tell, but I, I have a feeling that um, that the pressure will certainly build on them if the team does look like it's made a, a, a quantum leap um, in the, uh, the from the start of uh, this season to next season. Yeah, you look at the the surrounding teams, right? You look at the, the the Leafs who have had some sort of success. Not like crazy success, but it's been there. The Raptors we have covered ad nauseum, champions, right? And even yeah. TFC, they, they've won a championship as well. The Blue Jays, I don't think like Rogers likes the idea of having the identity of being the redheaded stepchild of the group, right? Yeah, and, I think that's right. And they yeah. and they are a part owner of the Leafs and Raptors, so uh, you know, they're they're part of that Bell Rogers. Uh, conglomerate, and um, you know they can see what's going on. So uh, the only thing I was worried about was when when Shapiro said, "Well, you know," he said he's ha- he's had two contradictory mes- messages. On the one hand, he said, um, "You know, 
ownership has told us that we can be a little bit more aggressive with payroll um, before, uh, and, and there may be a point at which you know there's negative cash flow um, from, from by virtue of the expansion of the of the uh, uh, payroll, uh, and it, it, before you actually get the big rise in, in 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 revenues from more people attending the game. So they he did say that, but at another point he said um, they told us we don't want to lose them. Um, not to lose money as a business, so which kind of evoked Alex uh, Anthopoulos's um, plea in I think it was about 2012 or so when he said, you know, you've got to come out to the ballpark and then we'll spend the money. Uh, yeah. And I, 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 you know, I don't want to get into that catch-22. I'm, I'm hopeful that they saw what happened in 2015 and they realized that you know they awoke a sleeping giant and that if they do, uh, if you pay them, they will come and so will the fans. Yeah, that's very, uh, I think it was Beeston that was uh, preaching that. And you're right, we don't have to revisit it, but I just, I don't want to have that sort of scenario again, right? I don't want them to, that's a chicken and egg argument. And I don't, I think it's kind of ass backwards, right? You need to see success on the field before you can expect people to really come out in droves. Yeah, unless you're a, a fantastic baseball town like, say, Chicago, where they're always going to come out and see the Cubs, no matter how good they are. Um you know, Toronto is a good sports town, but it's not a it's not a great baseball town. They'll come out and support the team, and it does well. But it's not like the Leafs or the Raptors, where they'll just come out at, at any point. So you've really got to put a good product on the field for them. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, before we get to the future, though, we got to finish this year. I think they have under 35 games left to go, so this is really flying by. But um, let's talk about some predictions. Um, this weekend is Players Weekend. They're uh, at Seattle for three, so it's another West Coast uh, time zone game for us East Coast guys. So, um, Like I said, they're playing three games there. I'm going to be generous. I think they're going to take two out of three of these. I agree with you, for, and, and not only... Uh, um because I think they could have won two out of three had Vladdy not been hurt um, in the last series. But, you know, remember, Seattle is like Toronto West for them. When, they, when, yeah. they, uh, when the Jays play out there, it's like all the West Coast fans come down from places like Vancouver and, I guess, Alberta, and, and they literally take over that stadium. It's, it's the most amazing thing. I, I haven't actually seen it myself live, but I've watched it on TV, and um, those fans are enthusiastic, and um, I, it, it's a big, it'll be a big boost for the... Uh, for, for the Blue Jays. So I think they'll do well in that. I think two out of three, maybe they'll even sweep it. That'd be amazing. And I, I do think they have made the, the concerted effort every year to have a weekend series in Seattle because, as you mentioned, there has been a great Blue Jays presence at that stadium. And I think they, the, the, the team really feeds on that, especially on the road. Yeah, and it must be somewhat demoralizing for the, uh, the Mariners <laughs> as well. You know, it, it cuts both ways. All right, and then they come back home for two against Atlanta. This may be a little overambitious given, you know, the success of Atlanta. I'm taking a split. Yeah, I, I a split, or maybe Atlanta takes both of them because Atlanta yeah. is fighting for a playoff spot, and um, uh, they've got a lot of good pitching. They seem to match up well against them. So, um, But, um, you know, I, I hope. And of course, Alex will probably be back there as well, oh, yeah. so there'll be all that. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm going to go zero and two on that one, even though I hope they can split. It makes me wonder if Anthopolis will be in the stands, right, or in a press box, obviously. And if Vladdy hits a home run, you just see him nod and be like, "Yeah, yeah. that that's me right there." Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he's he's been a, he he made a, a couple of remarks after he left, where he you could see that there was some hard feelings. Uh, there were some hard feelings, and. Uh, 
but I think at this point he's got a good situation, and he, you know he'll he'll do the. You know, it's great to be back home, but uh, you know, been there, done that kind of thing. And I don't, I don't think he'll. He may make some comment about how great it is to see uh, Blatty doing well, but I don't think it'll go much beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just what this fan base needs is another another reminder that someone was successful and is now successful in another organization, and now this oh, my, team. Yeah, is just, like yeah. I, all the Anthopolis fanboys would just be <laughs> whining about it. It, it, it. You see it all the time on Twitter. It drives me crazy. All right, well, that's going to do it for tonight. Speaking of Twitter, uh, this is your time to shine. You can promote where people can find you and interact with you regarding the Blue Jays games as well as Raptors games in the NBA season. Marshall, the floor is yours. Well, you're very kind. Uh, My Twitter handle is Mauerbach, uh, M-A-U-E-R-B-A-C-K. And as you say, I will uh, talk about all things all Toronto sports. but I also uh, do politics and economics, so um, you know the, all, all my articles so you should get up posted up there as well. And uh, yeah, I do interact. Uh, I, whether people are nice or not, I usually do respond. Uh, if they're uh, rude or offensive, I usually just block them. But for the most part, I try to engage. Oh yeah, during uh, especially during Raptor season, you're very very active, and it's always a pleasure talking oh, yeah. to you uh, about any Toronto sports, really, but especially during the Raptors season, that's when things get hot, so it's good. It, it, it was fun last year, and uh, I think it'll be fun again this year, too, but um, yeah, last year was amazing. Yeah. All right, well, uh, I appreciate you coming on. We'll do this again, and uh, go Blue Jays. Hey, thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. for listening to the south of the six podcast don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at south of the six and to subscribe to our show we're on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify yeah we're everywhere while you're at it if you liked what you heard do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review we appreciate it thanks again go jays and raptors